Welcome to Always in Escrow with Serena Appel and Colby Burchin. Hello, Colby. Hey, Serena. How are you? I am uplifted because today we're speaking with Andrea Virgin, the president of the Boca Raton Center for Arts and Innovation, the group behind the building of a performing arts center in the heart of Boca at Meisner Park. Andrea, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. I am super excited, Serena, because Andrea, we have a lot of mutual friends, but I got the pleasure of meeting her a couple months ago at one of these charity events. And, you know, if you you just say her name across town, her everyone says passionate. This, you know, she's so passionate. And beyond that, phenomenal dancer. So <laughs> thank you for coming on our show. <laughs> pleasure pleasure. I am very lucky to do what I do. And I know we'll get into it. But when we got to know one another through the George Snow Fellowship Fund, the combination of two passions of my life, uh, the community and dancing. And so um, I'm grateful for that opportunity to be able to get to know so many great people, including you guys. So thank you very much. Thank you. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you became involved with the Center for Arts and Innovation. It's a an incredible story of um, right time, right place, um, and a little bit of serendipity and life changing that you know opened this door um, and made this all possible. I'll try to summarize it the best I can, but it was um, about five years ago. I uh, happened to be this kind of crossbreed of former professional ballerina turned land development engineer. And that's a totally other story, how I happened to have those two careers. Um, But about five years ago, after, as you mentioned, a life altering event, um, I had lost my first husband um, seven, about seven years ago now. And uh, I realized after I could kind of pick myself up off the floor that our time here is limited and we shouldn't wait until we're like in our eighties to be philanthropic and community oriented. And um, so I figured I should start doing something to give back to the community. And the first thing I wanted to do was, or at least the first thing I thought about doing was to give back to the organization that brought me up, which was Boca Ballet Theater. Um, This nonprofit civic dance company trains young children to be performing artists and they made me in large part who I was. And so I figured that's that's a good place to start. Well, in that first board meeting, I was the first alum to join the youngest in the room. I was 31 at the time, surrounded by this like long conference room table of professionals that, you know, were far more experienced and older than me. And I figured I should do something to prove myself and why I should be on this board. And sitting behind the director's head at the other end of the table was this master plan vision for a performing arts complex that 30 years ago just never materialized for many different reasons, Um, not for a lack of trying, that's for sure. And I, in that kind of moment, thought, well, I've got this background in the performing arts and I've got this background now in commercial real estate. Like, can I marry these two and give back to this organization, at least as a starting point? And so very naively, I, I said to myself, well, let me just put this out there. And I told the whole board, I said, I'd love to try to fill this gap in our community and give you a venue that's worthy of the programming you put on stage. I'm going to help us build a theater. <laughs> and very, you know, very naively, because, of course, I had no idea at the time exactly how much was going to be involved. But that's how this started. We, we started off right there in that boardroom saying, you're right, this is something we should pick 
pick back up. Let's take it off the wall and let's, let's make it happen. So that's kind of how it kicked off, which, it, you know, of course, was was the very earliest stages. And it's grown a lot since then. And Boca needs it. So that's bravo to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sometimes these life altering moments, you know, you of course, you don't see the, the new door that might open up as a result of it. But these life altering moments allow us to kind of stop and pause because my life was moving in a very different trajectory. I would have never been doing what I'm doing now. But sometimes if we kind of stop and pause and allow what happened to kind of be an opportunity to rethink where we're going and what we want to do, um, really big, big doors can open. And, and I think I'm thankful for, you know, these lemons that made some lemonade. <laughs> so yeah, it's a pleasure and an honor. Incredible. So let's get into it. What are some of the main goals and objectives for the Center of Arts and, and Innovation? Well, so the project started off as simply, you know, we should, we deserve a theater in this town. We, um, have lived in a 60 mile gap here in the Boca Raton area. Um, the South Florida market has some really great venues in some of the other great markets. Um, Miami has the Arch Center and New World Center. Fort Lauderdale has the Broward Center. You skip Boca 60 miles later, almost like the Bright Line map. And we've got the Kravis Center in West Palm Beach. And so the first thing that we thought of was like, let's fill that gap. You know, it's a perfect infill project. There's an obvious need in, in this market. We have everything else, great schools, great, you know, retail, great beaches, great golf, all that great stuff. But um, if you want to call yourself a world-class city, you need to have world-class infrastructure for culture, arts and culture. And so at first it started off as just that. Let's just, let's build a, a venue that mirrored our great city and mirrored our great organizations that put on great programming. They're just performing in high school auditoriums where, you know, perhaps that doesn't mirror what you're seeing on stage. Um, so we kind of started off that way, but about a year in, we hired uh, world-class consultants because my experience stopped at pick a site, lay it out a bit and um, present it to the city. And then they said, you know, come back to us with how this is actually going to happen, how you're going to fundraise for it, how you're going to operate it, all these things. So, of course, my experience was limited to what I knew and I knew I needed to bring in professionals. And when I did and these this consultant we brought in, the DeVos Institute of Arts Management, they do this all over the world, 80 different countries, thousands of organizations. And the first thing they told us is you shouldn't build just another theater. If you build just another theater, you're going to be outdated before you open your doors. And after 10 years of planning, fundraising, building and opening your doors, that's the last thing you want to do. So the project pivoted from being strictly a let's build a venue um, that's beautiful to being a venue that can focus on the future, preserve the past, but focus on the future. And so the animation side got added to our name. So it's not just the Center for Arts, which is what you see all over the country, all over the world. Um, adding the words and innovation says, well, we are a place that we can preserve the past in order to allow the past to be presented. You, in order to be sustainable to make that work happen, you have to anticipate the future. And we know in today's day and age, if you are not anticipating the future, you're going to be left in the dust. And this is this. Thank God for that advice, because the project has pivoted in that direction, um, which, of course, I can go into more detail on what that means. That's spectacular. It's wonderful. And so it's, I mean, it's amazing to have that kind of foresight and be prompted to think that way. Wow. 
that advice was so great and, and, and so exciting because we're at the forefront of creating something that really doesn't exist in large part across the country. This will be out of all the performing arts centers across the country, less than 1% are as versatile as tech forward, as future focused as this center will be. And so I was going to ask that because it, it sounds like it's really going to benefit the community, individuals, particularly in terms of ed- education and social impact. Traditional performing arts centers um, are awesome. I mean, they do so much, right? They're cre- they, they're great economic drivers. You know, just the sheer activity that go on at them create great business for restaurants. And you have, you know, we when you when you talk about education, it 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 creates the opportunity for kids to be exposed to the arts. You bus them in, and they watch performance, and they're they're inspired um, and they potentially are targeting different parts of the brain that make them more creative in whatever it is that they decide to do. But venues that are nine figures to build and, you know, require a tremendous amount of time should be able to do more. And creativity has a bigger role in society than simply creating inspiration. Um, These cultural pieces of infrastructure, if built flexibly, if built future consciously can allow creativity's role in society, which is really important. And we, I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. Um, in order to be able to enable all of those other things to happen. So let me just give a few examples. You know, our, our, our kids are um, going to be facing God only knows what in tomorrow's world. And so while we talk a lot about STEM, you know, the, the mechanics of, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math, those are, and I, I studied those, right? I was an engineer um, and am an engineer. Um, those kind of black and white things allow us to solve problems, but the creativity aspect of adding the A into STEAM is really important. Um, and so we want to be a campus that not only buses kids in to watch performances, but how can we leverage our infrastructure to enable programs that allow kids to take the inspiration of whatever it is they saw or experienced and create programs where they can come onto campus and utilize that inspiration to create, and then even utilize that one step further and allow them to commercialize or pitch ideas in, that, that come as an inspiration from a result of something on the campus. So kind of that full scale model, um, creativity has a role in society. I mean, especially in a post pandemic world, mental health, the actual feeling of connection, that ability to have, um, you know, the human connection with your community members by not having that in this area, not only, of course, you don't get to see performances and be entertained, but to be able to have a nexus, a place where people gather, a place where people connect, a place where people experience something together. God, we, we need it more than ever in a world that we've been isolated, you know, at least up until recently for the large part around the country have been an isolated state. So um, communities need this place for that kind of gathering, creativity to feel inspired. Um, if we just go to work every day and if we just go to school every day and we're just, you know, kind of in that, you know, analytical side of ourselves, you know, what are we what are we doing all that for if we don't feel left inspired and connected to one another? I love enrichment for the kids and for um, all ages, all generations. And I really see I, I know. So my background, I had a passion for musical theater. And then now being a mom, I love to bring my kids into that world. And now I get to see them perform. My son just performed in Sister Act. And he he actually has incredible rhythm. And his movements, I mean, he's been doing musical theater performances and he has had some dance training, but, you know, he brings it to the stage. And 
there he's he's in seventh grade. He's young. And for our children to be exposed to that, um, it's just so enriching. And I do want to get into the programming a little bit um, because I also think about, you know, digital art. And, you know, when you talk about what's on the horizon and seeing what the kids are exposed to now and how they are accessing incredible technology from a very early age, which is enabling them to create, um, you know, design and, and get into that at, at home, you know, privately, and then what could be possible in a more public um, venue like your own. So I wanted to ask about the kinds of programming that you expect to offer and how you choose which programs to prioritize? Yeah, great questions. To get to your to your comment about your son, which is so exciting, um, we you know people say, well, if they don't go off into a, a performing career, was that all for nothing? No. Whether he decides to take this on as a career, which I'm sure would be really exciting, or not, you know the the values you learn as a, as a child exposed to the arts, whether they actually actively participated or simply were just exposed are immense. Um, particularly as a participant, those like, you know, uh, those life skills that you learn, the discipline, um, the being accountable, um, the stage presence, right? If they go, do a podcast like this, the ability to feel confident in one, you know, oneself to prepare that kind of, that kind of those life skills for me as a dancer that, you know, I did go off and dance, but even if I hadn't and my career was perhaps not as long as I would have loved it to be, but those attributes have played into my daily life you know, in such a great, profound way. And then on top of the, on top of that, there's some students perhaps that don't participate. Maybe that's not their thing. They want to be more behind the scenes, but the exposure to the arts um, and to creativity allow a student to feel like they can express themselves uh, in other ways, or they can feel inspired to think about something in a different way. You talk about the future forward nature of the center and its programming ambitions. You know, it's not just about being inspired through the traditional performing arts, but what if we have some sort of an experiential experience that is creative and it allows it to tap into that left side of the brain. Um, exposure to a child is just, it, it's extraordinarily important. And the, the absence of that for 60 miles means either the students have had to try to leave and go to other venues to experience it, but not every family is willing to do that. And uh, the absence of that means that those students are not going to have that background that your son thankfully has had. Um, the programming in terms of, of prioritization, the focus of the center, while it's going to be a place that can still preserve the past, it was, of course, the start of our mission, um, is to be able to put on the beautiful work that has been presented for hundreds, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but we also want to allow for the art of tomorrow and the audience of tomorrow, and even of today, really, if we're being truly honest, to be a place where that happens. The nexus of art and technology is a really big focus of the center. Um, you talk about kids and their digital focus, which they're digital natives now, right? There's very few children these days that don't know what digital media is and, and devices. And if you're combating with the attention of a child that's constantly like this, and I'm building a venue, I can't build a venue that's not gonna cater and take somebody 
like a child's eyes off their device and want to go. Today, even adults, I mean, you talk about adults pandemic. I mean, it got real easy to stay in your loungewear and sit at home and watch and stream Netflix and Hulu. So to get people off their couch, to get dressed, to go downtown, to go experience something for two hours and reverse it all the way back, you have to create programming that is exciting, innovative, experiential, and that blurs the lines between artist and audience. That's what they want. Um, so there's two sides of that. There's artists who want to push boundaries and, and they do that by integrating tech. We talk about NFTs. We talk about digital immersive media experiences, the Van Goghs of the world, the Van Gogh experiences of the world. And then you have your audiences who more than ever want Instagrammable, experiential, inspirational things um, to get them to get their eyes off their devices and go experience something. It's critical for two reasons. One, economically, imagine if our downtowns didn't have the ability to lure the thousands of people into those restaurants, into those shops, into those eateries, into those downtowns that create the vibrancy we love to go and experience something and and then reverse it all the way back. Um, So economically for our downtowns, it's critical to make sure we're catering to the audience expectations and wants of tomorrow, but also for that creativity to be something that people want to experience you would be naive to say, I'm only going to cater to the past. Those audiences, while they love, there's some people still in our society that love the Swan Lakes and the symphonies. And we need to, that that needs to remain in, in a community. We have to be able to cater to the audience expectations of tomorrow. And so our programming is targeted in that direction, working with companies that are at the cutting edge of art and technology, working with, um, you know, even performing groups that are looking to leverage technology into their programming. New York City Ballet, Miami City Ballet, for example, are two companies that are traditional ballet companies that are integrating tech into everything they do. Broadway is doing this. I mean, it's it's the way of the world. If you want to compete for audience, uh, you know, eyes, and if you want to compete for those revenue dollars, you have to keep up with the times. And that's through the cross section of art and technology together. So true. So tell me, tell our audience, what's the most rewarding aspect of your work with the Center and Innovation? Tell us. You know, the ability to to finish a 30 year chapter in the city of Boca Raton's history is, I think, one of the top. Um, Boca Raton 30 years ago uh, was going to grow up past the Boca Mall, which is what was in downtown, which actually didn't exist at the time. And uh, created what we know as the downtown we know of today, the creation of Meisner Park and some of these other really great features in our downtown. And Meisner Park was built on a bond referendum that said to residents, if you if you approve this referendum, which is through taxpayer dollars, we will build you Meisner Park and we will promise you that 40% of the, of the land will be dedicated to culture. While certain aspects of that have been built, the Museum of Art, the amphitheater has been built and the black box that's up in the southern end, but the full vision of what those those for, that forty percent of land was supposed to be did not come to fruition until now. So it's really fulfilling as a Boca Ratonian that was born and raised well, not quite born. They didn't have a maternity ward then, but um, raised in Boca Raton to be able to say in my hometown that um, that me and the many others who have joined this project since its inception, most of them Boca Ratonians, can say that we're coming in and we're finishing what we started. 30 years ago and giving their taxpayers what they were promised. So that at, that at a bare minimum is something that's extremely fulfilling to me as somebody who grew up here. To be able to say that we're leaving Boca Raton better than we found it is extremely fulfilling as well. 
um, our children, leaving them something that they can enjoy for nearly a hundred years, thanks to the city's lease and transforming generations, hugely impactful, exposing those people to something that otherwise would not have had if this kind of storm in this village has not come together. Um, and then kind of a, a final piece is, um, my late husband had uh, had always wanted to transform Boca Raton in some way. He was in commercial real estate um, and he never got the opportunity to do that. So just kind of on an impersonal level, it feels very fulfilling to be able to come back and do and finish something that he had wanted to do um, and to do it on such a broad scale for his hometown. He's a Boca Ratonian as well. To be able to do something on behalf of him where he couldn't do it was, was of course, very meaningful too. So for a lot of reasons. So beautiful. Incredible. Thank you. It's amazing life's work. It's really yeah. incredible. I wondered if there are any renderings in the area in which you're going to be breaking ground and constructing that the public can see. We're one of two performing, quote unquote, performing arts centers or cultural venues um, coming online over the course of the next five years in the United States. So we're, we're, we are being looked at from all over the world as an opportunity to these architects. And some of the really some of the best names that, that you've heard of in the architecture world are looking at this. So we do have renderings. They give you an idea of scale. They give you an idea of uh, flexibility because um, you can see some of the venues in different shapes and forms of what they can do and what kind of programming they can have. So it gives you a sense of scale, flexibility, a sense of um, understanding kind of all the components in the different program makeups of what the, the buildings will have. But to take it with a grain of salt, because that design may very well change over the course of the next six to nine months as we bring on uh, the official design architect of the center. Um, and uh, they may have whoever gets selected may have their own interpretation of what it looks like. But those components will all be there. What you see in those renderings will be there. They just may look a bit different. We're also very early stages. We're at like 10% of design, 15% of design. So as the design advances, those materialities may change and adapt and the real look of this will, will change over time. But it'll give you a sense of the, the level of sophistication and the level of future forwardness that the venue will be able to provide. It's incredible just thinking what's going to come in the next few months for you and what's to come in the next decade. So... It's incredible. Thank I'm so you. inspired. Thank you. Well, so how could people find you, follow you, you know, get involved if they can? Um, tell our audience. So the uh, the project has a, uh, a website that's um, in in. It's right now going to be completely revamped. So there will be a kind of holding page that gives you some very basic information, at least to get started and get somebody's appetite wet. Um, it's the Center for Arts and Innovation dot org, all spelled out. And um, and then my email address, if somebody wanted to reach out to me personally, is a virgin, as silly as that might sound. It's my first initial, last name at the Center for Arts and Innovation dot org. Um, and uh, my cell, which I'm happy to give out. People say I shouldn't, but I know that, that anyone that wants more information, I want to make sure they can reach me is five, six, one, eight, five, nine, two, one, one, seven. And um, we, we also have our social media platforms. Um, it's step into the center for Instagram um, as well as on Facebook and on LinkedIn, you can search it by the official name, the center for arts and innovation. And uh 
feel free to give us a follow. We're always sharing updates. And uh, we also have a newsletter you can sign up on the website for and be kept in the know on a quarterly basis because this project evolves rapidly. Um, Lots of exciting stuff coming up over the course of the next year. So stay tuned. I'm so excited. Well, thank thank you you. so much. Thank you for having me on.